From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After roller coaster seasons, both baseball and softball came to an end in the last week, with softball bowing out of the Women's College World Series and baseball exiting its hard-fought, weather-delayed regional. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry for our final roundtable of the season, discussing the last stands for baseball and softball and the enduring stories from this athletic year. Then, the now-retired voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, joins us to share why the time was right to step away, the evolution of sports broadcasting since his debut, and what he hopes to do moving forward. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is time for our final roundtable of the season. Gators Scott, Gators Chris are here to discuss the uh, the end of softball and baseball uh, and really putting a bow on, on this, uh, this athletic season. So, guys, let's start out in Oklahoma City. Softball made it back to the biggest stage. And they had a good outing in their their first game there and, and beat Oregon State pretty convincingly. Um, but then they ran into a couple of buzzsaws. And I think, you know, we talked, Chris, about the teams that dominate and usually make deep runs in Oklahoma City. It's ones that have a dominant arm they can ride. Uh, we know that because Florida's done it when they've won national championships. They did not have that on this run and ultimately ran into a couple that were just too much to overcome. Yeah, and you need to think about it. Uh, two of those so-called buzzsaws would have been pitching for Oklahoma, and they never even had to run into the the two great pitchers for the Oklahoma Sooners. But they did run into Kelly Maxwell of Oklahoma State and Holly. I hope I say this right, Acevedo. Yeah, but she, I mean, she she was their number two pitcher, but she came in with a twenty twenty four record and an ERA, uh, you know, a sub two ERA. And both of those, I mean, Florida went into after the Oregon State game, which you referenced. They won the game seven to one. We had thirteen hits. They were hitting four hundred five and averaging seven point seven runs uh, during the NCAA tournament. And then to roll up and all of a sudden get to get three hit by Kelly Maxwell uh, from Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma State in a two nothing loss. And then things kind of unraveled in the elimination game against UCLA. Uh, Florida was was held to just two hits. They were in the game. You know, it's two nothing. Uh, I, I believe in the fourth inning, and then a couple of uncharacteristic defensive mishaps by the team. Uh, next thing you know, it's four nothing, uh, and then uh, UCLA kind of put the game away, or or did put the game away rather uh, in the sixth inning, erupting for four runs. Finally, against Natalie Luga, who was who was just fantastic um, in the in the postseason. Uh, she hadn't given up an earned run. And then finally gave up an earned run in that game. She'd come in for relief, uh, you know, for basically every game the Gators won during the during the NCAA tournament. But I mean, it was, again, we we said this last week, Adam. The, you're in Oklahoma City, so the season's a success. You don't want to say it's all gravy, you know, once you get there, because every team that gets there, of course, wants to try to win it. It was going to be a tough uh, 
a tough haul to uh, to get out of there. Whatever team gets out of there, if it beats Oklahoma, it's going to be a, a, a you know a monumental uh, task or what have you. Because I mean, UCLA <laughs> punched Oklahoma in a, into the elimination bracket and it turned around one game later. Uh, or they played right afterwards. And they beat them fifteen to nothing. And so, I mean, that was a that was a joke. So it was almost like you know, oh, okay, you want to play this game? Okay, fine. Uh, again, uh, 11 out of 14 of the last World Series for, for Tim Walton's team. They had some problems, obviously, uh, offensively over the course of the season. Seemed to have those corrected, but they reared themselves in Oklahoma City. But that's where the best pitchers are. You know, That's why teams go to Oklahoma City usually because of pitching. Florida didn't have that drop-dead pitcher this year. Um, they haven't had that drop-dead pitcher for a couple years. Uh, so that's something that, that they have to work on consistency offense is something that they'll have to work on. Uh, just talking to uh, Tim Walton, you know, a, l- a little bit uh, the, the night after that loss to, to UCLA, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a direction that they got to go think things that have to be improved. And he knows that he spoke about that after the game. It's always sad in Oklahoma city to see these girls on the podium who played their last game. I had that uh, situation a couple of years ago when Amanda Lorenz and, and, and Kelly Barnhill played their last games and it's just I, I think Mary Howard went up to the the uh, moderator at the College World Series and said, "So once you get to elimination games, you have to start putting tissues on the podium because uh, these it's it's just it's just a thing, you know. These these girls get you know get emotional talking about their time there, and it was Hannah Adams up there, it was Cheyenne Lindsay up there, and it was Natty Lugo up there. Obviously, Hannah Adams' career." has been well-documented, maybe the best defensive player in, in program history. Um, and, you know, she's been the, the, the ambassador of that team the last couple of years. Natalie Lugo, her career started off slowly, um, but she kind of worked her way into, you know, the best pitcher on the team this year. And they really leaned on her, as it turned out, mostly out of the bullpen late in the season. And Cheyenne Lindsay, you can, you can say she had the biggest hit of the season. Uh, with that uh, home run in the ninth inning of that uh, extra inning win at LSU that kind of uh, turned the Gators' fortunes um, uh, in the last uh, SEC series of the season. They were all very emotional after the game, having played their final games as Florida Gators. But, you know, that always has to happen. And it's if you do it and you're in Oklahoma City, I think you can take a little bit of solace away from that. But uh, another really good year, an unexpected year, the only SEC team uh, to make it to the College World Series disappointing in how it ended to get, you know, just five for 44 in their last two losses. Florida wow. was, I think that's one, that's an average of 113. You're not going to beat anybody, much less two of the best teams in the country when you get to uh, get as deep into the season as that. And it just can't produce only had five singles. Uh, one of them was a bunt. So get in the batting cages this off season for this team. Uh, but there's reasons obviously to, to still be encouraged about the, about where this program is. Tim Walton's standards are very, very high. You go to the College World Series, um, and he's been able to do that. Did it again this year, and don't be surprised if they do it again next year. So a good year from softball again. Ends in Oklahoma City. You can't complain about it, but as you know, Chris, always room to improve, uh, and certainly we'll, we'll see where that goes next season. Uh, we'll also see what happens next season with baseball, because their run came to an end, uh, not even over the weekend, uh, on, on Monday afternoon into evening, Scott, it was a traditional extended, elongated regional due to weather. Uh, it happened with softball. It happened with baseball. Um, and, you know, while I think it was it was definitely a surprise that baseball was able to get into position to host that regional, when they got there, 
we saw both some of the things that allowed them to have that run at the end of the year, but also some of the issues that kept them from reaching their full potential throughout the season and ultimately led to their exit on Monday night. Yeah, it was a microcosm of, of this season in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a team that was known for its offense uh, Yeah, with guys like Wyatt Linkford and Sterling Thompson and Judd Fabian. Uh, you know, this is a team that hit 122 home runs. That's the second most in program history. Uh, but it's also a team that, you know, had some young pitching that you, you when you live and die by young pitching, Adam, uh, you're going to bite your nails off each game if you're the manager. That's what we saw. I mean, we saw one of the best stories I can remember in Gators baseball on Sunday night with, with Karsten Finvold. Comes in in the first inning, bases loaded, nobody out, pitches nine innings in relief. Uh, it was just a kind of a magical moment there if you were there and just to see him do what he did. And then the next day, they're in the Gainesville Regional Championship and, you know, get a great start from Brandon Nilly on two days rest uh, against the same team that, you know, a couple of days earlier had beat him up. And they got exactly what they needed. And then they get that rain delay of, well, weather delay, five hours and 33 minutes. I mean, you know, I had to Ooh. shake during the delay. It was so long. And then <laughs> you go back and they they turn, Sully turns to Ryan Slater, the closer. He runs into some issues as a young pitcher does, but that's, that's what it was. I mean, that was just this team. And I think, you know, after the game, you could tell it was a very disappointed group. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys lingered in the dugout and out on the field. And then Sully afterwards was more reflective than normal. You know, he spoke for about 15 minutes just about how this was probably, he said it was one of his favorite seasons he's ever had. And that's because, of, you know, they really did grow as a team throughout the season. And, you know, you asked me uh, six weeks ago when we were talking on this podcast, I mean, I'd kind of written these guys off as a, a postseason threat. And yet they were one win away from, you know, being one of the final 16 teams uh, standing. And uh, that just shows you guys got better throughout the year. But in the end, they were just young. And, you know, baseball is such a different animal when you start playing a bunch of games in a, a condensed period of time. You're going to run into pitching issues. And Sully, to his credit, he's always protected the the arms of his of his staff. and. You know, there's a lot of questions. Well, what about Brandon Stroke? Couldn't he have pitched last night on two days rest after, what, 108 pitches or 114 pitches, I think it is, win in the opener? He could have, but Sully said that was never an option. He said Sproke told him after delay that he was going to run down to the bullpen, and he says, no, no, we're not going to do that to you because he's made a lot of money for himself over the last uh, couple months. He, he may be a first-round pick now. So they went with the guy who has done the job late, in the season, Ryan Slater, he's a redshirt freshman, a tough spot for him, but he helped him get there and he stuck with him and it didn't work out. I mean, Slater just didn't have it. And uh, Oklahoma, good team, rallied. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, a tough inning for the Gators. A lot of fans having a hard time with it on Twitter as usual. But you know what? Um, if you know the sport, if you know baseball, I mean, I don't know how you can look at anything other than, wow, this team kind of surpassed expectations to even be there. So that's the kind of way I look at it. I know a lot of people just want to point to the end, but uh, 
I don't know. I saw a little different side of Sully too. I mean, like I said, you could tell he really enjoyed this team. He was more complimentary of this team, I think, than any team I've ever heard him talk about, except maybe the 17 team. Uh, a special group of guys, and I think they they exceeded his expectations in a lot of ways. As far as next season for Gator baseball, Scott, is it is it just growing up? I mean, is you know, with all the youth, is that the easiest answer, or are there more complicated questions that, that have to be resolved? Well, anytime you lose a player like Judd Fabian, uh, who's you know who'll go back into the draft, and he turned down about two million dollars to come back this year, so he and he certainly didn't hurt his cause, and he'll be another first or second round pick. Uh, that's a big, big piece to replace. But I think we've seen it over and over. Uh, they'll they'll dip into the transfer portal. They'll bring in another top two or three class. And I think losing guys like Fabian and Sprout, that's those are big losses. But I think with all the the uh, experience the young pitchers got this year, I think that bodes really well for for the. Uh, the program and Sully kind of alluded to that last night. He says, really, this year was almost about we kind of reestablished some culture there that we feel like can get us back to the where we want to be. And that's playing for the national championship in Omaha. And, you know, that's a that's, well, we won't know that until they get back out there and get tested next season. But there's no there's no reason not to think with Wyatt Langford back. Uh, Sterling Thompson potentially back. I mean, Jack Caglio, Ty Evans, very talented roster coming back regardless of who they're losing. And again, I think one thing that he probably, meaning Sully, he, he's alluded to that he'll do better on and look into more is you can you can uh, get a good pitcher to, to bolster your staff easily in the transfer portal. He's always brought in, he's always brought in these top prospects and developed them. But I think it's just changing landscape of the the game. I think he'll he's not where he is by being stupid. He'll he'll uh, he'll get into the new uh, pipeline for talent there, and then you mix in with what he normally brings in. I see this team being a pretty good threat this year with the chance to have a better season next year than this year. But there there will be some growing pains as always, uh, as we saw this year. Well, save for track. Uh, the athletic season is now complete with the uh, the ending of softball and baseball. And uh, what, what I, I want to know from you guys is, and, and this is one of those questions that I didn't prepare you for because I, I wanted to see instinctively what popped into your mind. Um, but I want to know your, your favorite stories that you covered this year. Not a game you went to, but a, a, maybe a feature piece, someone you got to talk to who shed some light on you know on an athlete who you may may not have known before i'm just curious from all the stories you guys have done throughout the year because i know you're not going to give me your top 10 list because those are you know those are going to be held back until that drops in probably july um but i want to know what stories stood out to you guys this year from from covering the gators at every program i don't know adam that i can pinpoint one particular person because what i will say is the uh one of the biggest themes of 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 this particular um, athletic calendar was transition at here. And, and I will say this, with the transfer portal, all of a sudden, you know, like, for example, rewind almost a year ago, uh, basketball coming through the door. I remember, uh, you know, seeing Mike White, he goes, walking through the gym, and I said, what's uh, – hey, hey, how's it going? He goes, interesting day today, four, 
four 22 year old uh, basketball players walked in that I that I'd never seen in person before. And so that's so <laughs> that's that's just college athletics right now. That was the day Flan Fleming, Brandon McKissick, uh, CJ Felder and Myron Jones all showed up, for, you know, for for summer B to start working out. And that's just the way it is right now. And that's going to be a day in the next couple of days here with the University of Florida uh, basketball program under a new basketball coach. Uh, that's the way it was in January, uh, you know, dealing with Billy Napier, uh, which I've had limited dealings with him. Scott, of course, has had more dealings with them. Um, transition, that's more transition. So it's coaches, it's player. Kelly Ray Finley obviously was here, but new head coach, new head coach for, uh, for soccer. So, um, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to, to kind of getting to know, uh, all these people in starring roles, uh, a little bit better over the course of the next uh, of the next months and and and, and certainly the next year. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how both uh, uh, the football coach and the basketball coach, the two highest profile sports, obviously here, you know, do things differently than that than their predecessors, while also embracing this whole NIL change of landscape that nobody knows where this is going. Um, it all could be completely different one year from now. We all know that, but uh, it's something, it's a, it's a thing that's going to play out, play out in real time. It's a thing I think these coaches have a pretty good handle on. Um, and it's a thing that I think coaches that don't want to deal with it, that's kind of showed up, showing up. I don't know if, if Jay Wright, for example, Villanova left the profession because of where NIO was headed. I don't, I don't know that, but I know this next coming wave of, of people uh, and Todd Golden's at the forefront of that, are ready to embrace it. I don't know if, if, if Nick Saban and went nuts because of that he, that he doesn't like the situation the way it is uh, and, and came out and said so. But this next wave of coaches coming in, going to have to deal with it, going to have to confront it, going to have to be cutting edge with it, and going to have to be familiar with it. I'll tell you right now, I, I, I freely admit I don't understand a lot of it, um, I'm going to have to learn a, a, about it and dealing with it and just and just and finding out a little bit more about but thank god I don't have to deal with it the way the way coaches do right now. Changing landscape uh I can't pinpoint one person uh to your to your point to your question because there's been so many uh new people coming in this into the UA in the last year through this uh I don't want to say revolving door just coming through the door. And people are coming in now in a different way. I, it's just I was there when the NFL became Passed free agency for the first time in 1993. They had something called Plan B free agency. You guys may not remember. It's probably before your time, Adam. But that's kind of like a throwout uh, free agency they had, where you were allowed to designate players that weren't allowed to go into free agency. That, but the Plan Bs were the ones that were allowed to get in the mix and score some big, score some contracts. Never big ones because they were never great players. But once free agency hit. And the Reggie Whites of the world were out there as, you know, the Wilbur Marshalls were out there to get their own contracts. Wherever. This is where we are right now in college sports. I mean, there's players that are making more money than uh, assistant athletic directors. So it's just a little bit different, I would say. And they're all making more than senior writers, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Adam, I mean, times are changing. and That is really the predominant storyline, I think. Not only at the University of Florida athletics this season, but I think across college athletics. But when you just narrow it down to the Gators, I mean, changes in you know football, soccer, women's basketball, and of course men's basketball. That's a lot of change in span of one year. 
it, just from a singular story, uh, you know, I, it's like when you're in there and you get so close to this thing, sometimes you don't kind of grasp some of this. Like, I, I think sometimes when you're like Chris and I now, the way we used to be, sometimes you, at least for me, I can see it sometimes clear being a little detached when you're right in the middle. Sometimes it's just day to day. You're so close to it. It doesn't hit home until later. But after football season, I mean, I just I don't ever remember something going so south so fast as the Dan Mullen era. And obviously, I think the NIL had some things to do with it. I think COVID had some things to do with it. And I just think that somewhere he, you know, he lost his way and the program lost its way. And then you see the change to Billy Napier, who's totally different approach. And he's among those young coaches that knows that if he's going to survive in this business, he has to work hand in hand with the NIL. You can't just hope it goes away because it's not. And I, that's been refreshing to see and promising because he has no option, let's face it. Right. But I think he's much more prepared to succeed in the current level than a lot of your coaches from Mullen's generation and from, you know, older coaches. And that's just the, that's just the nature of the times. And so that, that story there, I, I think, you know, when we look back at Florida Gators football history, it was, it's been one of the more unusual developments that happen so quickly. And then of course, again, I mean, you can't cover college athletics or talk about it today without talking about NIL and, it's fascinating to see where this is going. I don't know where it's going exactly, but we're in a holding pattern right now. And it is truly, I mean, every day there's another major story that surfaces and you're like, wow, can you believe this is really happening? And it's like the things that college athletics leaders used to take serious, like a, a you know, a, a player getting a, a ride from a coach to practice a, a right. benefit. That seems so silly. So right. silly. It's like no one's worried about that right now. We got a lot of we're just the real world has finally come into college athletics and it's it's more of a free marketplace. And I, I'm again, I'm actually OK with it all. I think it's long overdue in some ways, but I do hope we can get some things regulated to make a kind of a, you know, a system that is competitively fair. I mean, I think whatever sport you have whether it's professional or college i mean you got to have some kind of regulation to make sure at least the competition's fair uh so i don't know again it's we'll be talking this conversation for a while i think things will look totally different in two or three years uh but in 2021 22 season that has been the predominant storyline across college sports but then you get back to why do we do this and what what makes this worth waking up every day and telling somebody's stories. And it's stories, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like a, a young guy who's never had a chance to go out and do much, and he has the performance of his life in the biggest game of the season, a uh, performance like uh, Karsten Finvold. I mean, that's, that's why I get excited about this stuff sometimes. Or, uh, you know, football uh, – I'm excited to see what they do with Anthony Richardson. I mean, I think most Gator fans are. He's an intriguing prospect. Still hasn't done much, but that's one of the stories that's been fascinating to watch him grow into this kind of savior of the program. And we still don't really know much about him as a player. So that's something to look forward to. Billy Napier, new coach. 
Uh, and then, of course, you had a huge change off the field. I mean, with the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert retiring. I mean, that that's such an important part piece of the pro, uh, of the landscape. I think that was something you saw the reaction from fans. That was as much as anything happened on the field this year. That's just that's just what those guys mean. That's why they're such an important part of the college sports experience. Let's not let's not forget the uh, I'll say it an, an inanimate object that is going to change the uh, culture here is the football facility. Its doors will open in the next few weeks. I just think. Remember, it's this is going to be a thing for all for all student athletes and relative to the dining hall and uh, and that beautiful uh, swim, swimming pool area. And that's just it's just a, a a thing that's just been long, long overdue. Billy Napier asked about it a couple times uh, in the last interview sessions that I attended with him, and he just says it's a one hundred percent game changer. You can't not have something like that, and they're just not going to have something like that now. This thing is a $90 million thing that is, that is, that is going to be a, 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 a game changer, like you said. And so uh, set to open uh, before the uh, students come back for the for first semester in the, in the fall of 22-23. I will also say, Scott, you said you hadn't seen anything go as south as quickly as, as Mullen's season. Mm-hmm. What, about, what about McElwain's last season? Oh, yeah. It went south too, but it was, uh, they remember they were three and one. They lost a one point game to LSU at home, then a yeah. two point game to Texas A and M at home. Then whoop! It was like shark swimming in the water. It was so it was so yeah quick. Price just said as as Mullen's tenure, you know that twenty nine and six start. Yeah, everybody's like the Gators are back. It's the future is set. We're great. Yeah, and poor yeah. Mullen doesn't even get to ever. Step foot into the new facility that he thought he was. Gonna That's right. Work. That's right. Yeah, that was going to be a game changer for him. Well, that feels like as good a place as any to uh, to put a capper on this season, this athletic season, and our roundtables. Gosh, we covered all sorts of stuff from from very relevant conversations like the one we just had to um, cage matches between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Which was only a week ago, so we've we've covered a full we've we've done the gambit even in, the, in just in the last couple of weeks. But uh, we've had a lot of fun throughout the year talking about this stuff, guys. Thank you so much for all that you've given us and given to the listeners, uh, and uh, and we hope you have a great summer, Adam. And thank you for your uh, uh, diligence and your and your dedication to this and your outstanding questions. Seriously, you keep us on point and give us some good stuff to talk about. Thanks, Adam. I enjoyed it again. Another year of these podcasts and uh, just the bond that you and Chris have. And I try to fit in. Look forward to it again, guys. See you. Gator Nation was shocked a few weeks ago when Mick Hubert unexpectedly retired from his role as the voice of the Gators, a mantle he held for 33 incredible years. Over that time, he made countless memories and left a lasting impression on millions of fans. We previously discussed some of his favorite moments and stories in episode number 176, 30 Years with Nick Hubert. So we encourage you to go back and listen to that show as a companion to this interview, which began with the question on everyone's mind. Why now? Well, it was probably about uh, about a year ago, about, about last May or so, I started to think about it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure, so I, I did a lot of praying about that, and uh, I had to kind of get that in my spirit, and that's kind of what I was working on and working with, and just being uh, obedient to that 
And so uh, that's why I have great peace about this, that, you know, this is not a knee-jerk reaction or anything like that. And this is something that uh, feels feels right, and I know that it is. So, you know, that's what uh, I, I went into last year, enjoying last year. Uh, you know, we didn't have a great football season. Obviously, September was better than November, and nobody would really know that we would kind of crash and burn like we did in football. But, you know, I enjoyed the opening game, and I enjoyed every game between that and the last game because I knew it was probably going to be my last go-around of doing that. So I enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, and then same with basketball. I mean, I, I knew we probably were fighting an uphill battle to get into the NCAA tournament. But when, you know, we had a game-winning shot in Fort Myers and beat Ohio State in November, we're off to a 6-0 and start. I thought, well, maybe we're going to make the tournament and, you know, make some noise. I, I think we got as high as 12 there for a week or so. And, and then, of course, the wheels kind of came off of that. It's a difficult league, you, you, you know. And realistically, uh, when you're trying to blend in as many new faces as we were, who had a lot of them would come from mid-major schools. You know, it's it's a lot to ask those guys to come together and, and, and be a force to deal with veteran coaches in the SEC. So we, we trailed off. But all during that process, I was enjoying – Every single game, uh, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not thrilled about losing, but I mean, you're, you're enjoying the prepping and going to the games and doing all that. So I had a great ride from uh, you know Labor Day on through uh, uh, March, and then and then I'm, I was doing about 15 television games for baseball, all, all at home. And they were all SEC games, so I was doing that on the SEC Plus. So. You know, I was doing that, so I enjoyed all of that, knowing that it was really going to be uh, the last time around. But but I wasn't uh, comfortable, you know, telling anyone earlier. You know, uh, Lon Kruger uh, abruptly retired a little over a year ago from uh, head coaching at Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, and then uh, same with for Roy Williams. Uh, you know, last like a year ago, April, he retired abruptly. Mike Krzyzewski announces he's going to retire. And he does it for another year. Right. Well, I, there's no possible way I was going to put myself through any final tour. I mean, you know, people saying, hey, you got nine months. Hey, you got six months. Hey, you got four months. Hey, there's mm -hmm. six weeks left. There's four. You know, when I when I told Scott Strickland on a Monday, uh, May 16th, I had uh, the baseball series to do with South Carolina on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday, the last three games of the regular season. And that five days – was seemed like it was five months, mm -hmm. so it was it was just a grueling grind because everybody's reaching out all the time. You're hearing from people, and it's all wonderful. But I'm thinking five days was tough. I can't imagine five months, let alone a year. Right. So there's no way I would put myself through that. So I, I knew uh, that I was going to make that decision uh, probably the last week I was doing baseball, and as a result, it was a you know it was a lot of pressure off me because in a sense. You know, I had a secret that I couldn't mm -hmm. tell people. And, you know, and when he's, and, you know, uh, you know, you look at uh, Jay Wright retiring Villanova, and anytime anybody retired, you know, people would talk to me and say, hey, you're not going in. Where are you? You're not leaving, are you? And many of those people were asking me that, and I knew that I was, but I couldn't say anything. In fact, you know, a few weeks ago, when Gene Deckerthoff, uh, you know, announced his retirement from the Seminoles, I knew I was retiring too. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we're, we'll go through this again in a few weeks, but, uh, you know, I can't let anybody know that. So it was really, it was a sense of relief when I was able to make that public. And so I, I feel great about it. And like I told Scott Strickland, you know, uh, whatever I had, uh, I still feel I have it. And I, I told him my quote was, I don't think I've lost my fastball at all. I can continue to do this for a number of years. But the time is right to move on. And, uh, you know, having said all of that, 
Uh, I've seen it all, you know, I mean, I, you know, with three football championships, two basketball, one baseball, Heisman Trophy winners, All-Americans, Hall of Famers. I mean, I've, I've been associated with all of that. And uh, so there's not a lot of whole left to, to, to experience. And so I just thought, you know, I've had a great career and I'm, I'm going to go out uh, you know, on my terms. I mean, my my way to do it. And uh, I think I'm being led to do it this way. And that's why I'm, I'm feeling very good about it. Mm hmm. You know, it's funny, when I, I texted you about coming on here, I said, did you get my text? And you said, well, I'm getting a lot of texts these days, so I might have missed it. Um, I, I can only imagine the number of people that you've heard from. Um, what, what outreach has meant the most to you? Who are maybe some people that reached out to you that surprised you or things that they said that, that touched you in a, in a particular way? Well, you know, what's interesting about that is, during the course of this year, when no one knew, I heard from people uh, that I hadn't heard from in years, and, and they don't have a clue. So mm -hmm. that was kind of refreshing. I mean, I, I heard from a, uh, a couple that used to live on our street in Dayton that I hadn't spoken with in 35 years. He was, again, the, the internet being what it is, and uh, mm -hmm. I don't know whether it was XM or whatnot, but he I was listening to, some broad, he listened to some broadcasts. In fact, he listened to a lot of broadcasts, and he just felt at that moment the need to reach out. You know, I'm going to reach out and say, hey, Mick, you remember me? Uh, sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I hadn't heard from him in years. And, you know, that happened numerous times, time and again. People would uh, say they were listening and uh, think, wow, really? Yeah, you know, um, one young man that lived on our street in, in, in Gainesville that had moved away and probably, uh, you know, was there probably 20 years ago. And he's, he's probably 35 years old now, you know. So, you know, he says, hey, I'm, I'm in, I don't know where he was, New Mexico or somewhere. So I'm listening to the game. I'm going, wow, that's how you doing? All right, great. So, you know, that happened, uh, you know, all during the course of this season. And these weren't farewells because they had no public knowledge of that. Mm -hmm. So when it actually came new. I heard from those people again and other people and you know it's just it's just real it's just real humbling and it's pretty rewarding and, and like you know I said to a degree you know a lot of people don't really get to get to experience how people feel about their their work how how the consumer feels about their work generally speaking in most cases you're you're lying in the casket <laughs> you know <laughs> people are saying wonderful things about you and i was able to experience all of that and so you know whether it be like i said an old friend or an old colleague or some of the other coaches, I mean, from, from Billy Donovan to, to Urban Meyer to, to Will Muschamp. I mean, you go on and on down the line. I mean, just former coaches that would, uh, you know, reach out and, and say, say things. You go, wow. And, you know, we, and, and all the while, you know, I'm thinking we did have good relationships, but, you know, time moves on. And mm -hmm. uh, yet they, you know, I mean, I, I got to, you know, I, I had Will's. Will Muschamp's uh, number in my phone. I'm not one that sometimes doesn't throw out a lot of old phone numbers, even though probably, you know, like most people, probably 25% of the numbers <laughs> in there, they don't even have them anymore, but right. you, haven't, you haven't deleted them. So the phone rang one morning and I looked down and it said, Will Muschamp. I'm going, well, he's still got the same number he had 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I knew it wasn't a wrong number. And so I said, hey, Will. He goes, hey, Mick. I go, you know, I hadn't talked to Well, I, I guess I talked to him last when he was in the swamp as the head coach at South Carolina. So that had mm -hmm. been a couple of years ago. And Ron Zook was another one that uh, reached out to me, and I always got along with Ron really well. And so it, it's been uh, it's been humbling. It's been been very satisfying. But it's taken a long time for me to get back to everybody. And then sometimes I'll go, oh, geez, he was one of the first ones that reached out, and I'm just now getting back to him. It's been like three weeks. So you know, it it, it does take some time to 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 finally get back through to people. Mm -hmm. 
So as the final baseball game played out, and uh, you know, I think there there were a lot of eyes on you, obviously, and, and you were you know you were keenly aware of that. W- was it surreal? I mean, were you able to shut it out and just t- treat it like a regular broadcast, or did you start to feel did you start to feel the real gravity of it as the game came to a close? No, I, no, nothing like that. I was able to do it just like normal. And uh, see, one of the things I had in my background was was being a television sportscaster, like on the six o'clock or the eleven o'clock uh, sports mm-hmm. in the newscasts. And I always enjoyed when we had studio guests, when people would come in, we'd set up, you know, whether it be four or five, eight or ten, twelve folding chairs, and they could sit, you know, out there back of the cameras and watch the live newscast you know when you're doing it on radio and you're doing it on tv you know there's a lot of people out there consuming but you don't get to see them in the face right you, you they're just they're just they're just out there well you can for me i always got kind of the juices always flowed a little bit more even if there might be you know 10,000 viewers or 50,000 viewers, if, if I could see seven or eight people sitting there in a chair, and this was their one chance to come in and watch the newscast live, you know, it, it kind of pumped you up. So, you know, knowing that there was the camera on me the whole time in, in that last game, it kind of got you really uh, focused even more. Uh, not that you're trying to put on any type of a show. It's just that you go, well, you know, and, and this is the thing that I, that I mentioned to you when people have reached out. You know, sometimes you're doing games and uh, especially like, you know, baseball, we don't have 40 or 50 stations, you know, carrying baseball. And and in my case, I'm doing it on the SEC Network Plus. Well, you know, it's it's a little bit more prevalent today than it was five years ago. But when you're basically doing streaming. You know, five years ago, I'm going streaming. Who's going to watch that? So you, you got to have an Apple TV. You got to have a Roku right. TV. I'm thinking, and nobody's going to watch streaming on a on a on a f- iPhone. But now that you can get it on your 65 inch TV at home because you've got an Apple or a Roku or a Fire TV or something, it is basically just like watching it on cable or on satellite. So I, I always have to remind myself, Mick, there are more people out there viewing than you think. Because mm-hmm. my thought process is, are we really talking to anybody? Is, it, is anybody watching? I mean. The last game, for example, it was fitting. And I told my wife, I said, you know, this weekend, it's middle of May. We're going to have a we're going to have a rain delay. It's going to happen. And, you know, that's one of my one of my love hate relationships with baseball. I, I love baseball and yet I hate rain delays. Nothing <laughs> worse than sitting in the booth for two or three hours with a rain delay. Yeah. At, at least if it's raining, you can justify it. But you know, in Florida, Eight miles or seven miles away, there's a lightning strike. They tarp the field, and the sun is shining, and sure. you can't play, and the sun is out because we're in a weather delay. And I, I hated that. And so, sure enough, we play this last game on a Saturday at 2 o'clock, and sometime around, I think it was 4.45, we were two hours and 45 minutes into the game, and I kept thinking, you know, if we'd have played at 1 o'clock today instead of 2, the game would be over. It was kind of fitting. So I, I it was just another it was just another game, really. I mean, uh, we had won the first two games of the series. We were hoping to get a sweep, and then we got beat in the last Saturday game. So, so we, we you know, my last football game was in the Gasparilla Bowl, and we lost. My last basketball game was in the SEC tournament in Tampa, and we lost in <laughs> overtime. And my last baseball game was the regular season finale, South Carolina. We lost. So I'm going, well, there you go. Perfect sweep. <laughs> your last game, your last games in all three sports, you lost. And plus, not only that, you got a two and a half hour rain delay. But I, I told my wife, if we get a rain delay, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be happy with it. Why? 
because it's going to be the last rain delay I'll ever have to sit through again. Right. You know, so, <laughs> so I thought, well, why not bring it on, bring it on, you know, and then, and, you know, the other day, you know, last night in, in the, in the regional tournament in Gainesville, they had a five and a half hour delay. Exactly. Going, exactly. Oh, I've sat through those before. Yeah. That's not a lot of fun. <laughs> um. You, you talked about this a moment ago, but I, I'm really curious because, you know, and we've talked about this a lot over the years um, about the changing state of the business. And, and I know from your background in, in you know, TV sports anchoring, um, it, it's changed drastically, uh, broadcasting as a whole. And, it, and it's continued to change, as you noted, through streaming and everything else. So as you exit the industry, having seen so much of the trajectory of it, how do you feel about where sports broadcasting is now and where it's going? Look, I think my time in my era, so to speak, was just ideally perfect because when I was a youngster, seven or eight years old, I could listen to the great ones. The great ones were, were still working. They, you know, I'm talking about guys who were in the 1960s and 1970s. Radio was very, very important. There was long before anyone ever thought of ESPN. It was mm-hmm. the, wasn't even, wasn't even in, in the consciousness of people. So there weren't a lot of games on television. It was radio, 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 and it was important. So I got to listen and learn from the best guys, and I could emulate them. And then I got in my career, a lot of those guys were still working, you know, for the Dick Enbergs, Ernie Harwells, the Harry Harry Carey's, the Jack Brickhouse, the Vin Scully's, they're all still working, you know, Skip Carey, on and on. Uh, so I'm a young guy, my, my mid-20s, mid-30s, now I'm in mid-40s, and it's still important. But as those guys kind of uh, passed passed on and retired and whatnot, uh, I became a part of the older group of guys, and I could see the industry changing to the point that while I do believe radio play-by-play will never go away, it's never going to have the same uh, impact that it once did uh, because every game's on television now and because people don't have the attention spans. You know, go back 50, 60 years ago, people literally would sit in their living room and stare at the radio. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of also why in my lexicon, I always talked about going left to right across your radio dial because I know a lot of people still had radio dials and I grew up on a, with a radio dial. The generation today goes, what's a radio dial? <laughs> Everything's digital now. There's no right. dial. But but that was so that the listener could paint in his mind the picture of the game. And I want you to know if, you, if you're watching that game in your mind, it's going left to right or he's going right to left. If he's on the far sideline or if he's on the near sideline. So you could have that game created in your mind, and that's what makes it yours. And so I, I was able to, 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 to do that. And, and, and as, the, as I got on and on, I'm thinking, you know, it's less and less important. I mean, I mean, you're looking at uh, football games now where they're taking announcers and sticking them behind the goalposts in the end zones, Mm -hmm. or they're on the flip side of the field. So now, you know, if you're trying to do a, watch it on a monitor a little bit, they, they're going left to right on your monitor, but as you are your live eye, they're going right to left because the camera is across the field. So why are they doing that? Well, they're taking those those, ra- those radio booths and converting them into suites, mm-hmm. and so they're getting money for that. You look at basketball, gradually you're going to be off the floor. I, lo- I cut my teeth, and I love being on the floor for basketball because you can reach out, touch the guys. You can see it, hear it, feel it, smell it right there, but you can't really broadcast a basketball game when you're in the rafters of the top row my first 20 years when i go to madison square garden i'd be on the court my last 10 years we're up in the up in the rafters the last game i think we did there uh they had a black curtain for the college game at the top of the of the garden and we're sitting above the black curtain wow 
other than Cameron Indoor Stadium, there are very few places where the TV announcers are not on the floor. They're always going to be on the floor for the most part because they take up one little table. Mm -hmm. But radio, they're getting banished off the court. And so, you know, and I, I would tell Steve Egan, our producer, last year and a couple of years, I said, you know what? I feel like I'm broadcasting this game for the booth, uh, for the uh, for the control room back at Learfield, for the guy who at the board. Because within 60 seconds of every highlight call that we have, of every touchdown that we score, it's being tweeted out. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to listen live anymore. You could be anywhere you want. All of a sudden you get a little tweet. Oh, hey, the Gators just scored. Here's a 75-yard touchdown. Oh, let's listen to that. Well, you know, so the only guy that's hearing it live is the people in our radio booth and the and the guy back in Winston-Salem at, at the control room. That's at least my my theory. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to one of, one of my more – uh, played calls was Doring's got a touchdown. Well, that was in 1993. The Gators were on probation. There was no television that night. It was it was pay per view. So mm-hmm. unless you wanted to pay twenty dollars to watch a game, and most people didn't, we had a tremendously large radio audience listening on a Saturday night from Lexington. So you know that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case today. So I mean, it, it was just different, and, and and maybe it's and maybe that's another thing that added to the thought process that maybe it's time to get out that right. maybe in your mind, Mick, it's not as important anymore. It's, it's less important. Uh, and, uh, all those, all those are kind of factors. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I still love to do it and it's never going to go away, but it's never going to have the punch, uh, that it once did. And so I look upon it. I really, <laughs> I really don't see a bright future, for a guy that's 35 or 40 years old trying to be a radio broadcaster. Like I said, it's never going to vanish, but I don't know where they're going to put you in the, in the arena. And then now since the ad, since COVID's come along, people have discovered, Hey, we can broadcast these games from the studio. Right now. Now, again, one of the negatives is after 40 years, you get tired of traveling, but to say, you're young in your career, and you never get to go to Madison Square Garden. You never get to go to the College World Series. You never get to go to the National Championship game. I mean, you never get to go to these, the Orange Bowl. I mean, that would be totally being robbed of the great thrill of broadcasting. To sit there and broadcast it all, I don't care if you got a 100-inch screen. If you're sitting in a control room somewhere watching it off a screen, and, and, they, and they can do this now. You know, I don't think the NHL announcers are traveling a whole lot. Hmm. So they, and, and, and many of the ESPN guys are broadcasting from home. Mm-hmm. In fact, as you know, one guy might be in Atlanta and the other guy might be in St. Louis. Right, they're, they're not, not even, even the same, same place. Yeah. Not even the same room. At least yeah. when Lima Griffin and I had to do that during the 2020 COVID season, we were at Weimar Hall in the same room. How do you have any rapport, any chemistry with a guy? And maybe you have only worked with him a handful of times and now you're in two different cities you know hey look if i was you know 10 15 years younger i'd have to grin and bear it and i'd have to put up with it and have to change with the times i mean i may not like it but but at, at, at my age and my at my part of my career i didn't need to do that anymore and <laughs> by not doing it i don't think i've lost anything right uh, i'm not you know i've got all the thrills and uh, and i was never about uh being the voice of the Gators. I mean, I, I love that, and I'm, I was happy for that title. But that's that's what I did. That's not who I am. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I have a different uh, sense of importance for who I am and whose I am and what I represent and who gave me the grace to do this. And so I, I didn't need to have their spotlight on me all the time to do that. I, I, I wanted to do this since I was seven or eight years old, and I got to do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a very, I mean, a lot of really good points in there about the way the industry has changed. There's no question about it. 
Um, a couple final things for you. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this, though I know it's a difficult question to answer. Um, do you have favorite calls, favorite moments? If you had to pull a couple out to put in your own personal Hall of Fame, so to speak, which ones come top of mind? Oh, that's really hard to say. In fact, uh, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan, the, the Gator baseball head coach, when I was on the field uh, the last series, he said, Mick, this is an unfair question, very similar to what you asked. This is an unfair question, and it's coming from me. You don't have to give an answer. But what was your favorite champ- national championship? Hmm. I said, Sully, I broadcast six of them. I said, I, I don't know how I can ever escape saying the 1996 national championship Florida's first in football. How could that not be the top of the list? And you beat your arch rival, Florida State, 52 to 20. But then again, not just because you're standing right next to me, but how do, how do you how do you dismiss winning the College World Series, beating LSU, who'd won it like nine or ten times? And people were wondering, will Florida ever win the mm-hmm. baseball title? They've done it in football. They've done it in basketball. But the elusive baseball title, now we've got that. So, Sully, I'm not pandering to you, but that's right there. But if I stop right there, I'm doing a total disservice to Billy Donovan and the 04s who won back-to-back national championships. And I don't know that that'll ever be duplicated. It's been now 15 years, and no one's come close right. to win it back-to-back. And to do it, as you know, in that squad that first year, not even ranked in the preseason to go ahead and win it. And then the following year, come back being ranked number one, expected to win it and repeat and do it. I mean, so how do you, so what I'm saying is you got to throw a blanket over all those national championships, uh, six of them, they're all the same. So those are great moments. Obviously, Doring's got a touchdown as the call that probably put me on the map. And that was in year five of my career at Florida. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of basketball shots, game winners, you know, uh, big home runs uh, that I've called and, you know, and stuff like that. So those are all of those are in there. Uh, they're, they're all they're all a part of it. And, and, you know, in this business, when your team wins, the announcer always sounds good because people are happy. But the fact of the matter is some of your better broadcasts are when your team's losing because you got to work harder. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys I listened to growing up was Jack Brickhouse, who broadcast Chicago Cubs baseball for about 40 years, and the Cubs never won anything. And that guy showed up every single day with a smile on his face saying, hey, we're capturing these baseball headlines as they're being made. And and he it might be August 28th, and the Cubs are 40 games out of first place, and the upper deck is closed, and there's 6,500 fans at Wrigley Field, and he was giving it to you like they were in 10 games in front. So I, th- I learned a lesson about that, that you know some of your best work is in – in losses, but you're not going to get credited for that. And likewise, you know, uh, you might not have had a great broadcast, but the team had a great game and they won. Everybody's happy. And you think, you know, I'm glad we won. I, I had some good moments, but I, this wasn't my best performance today, you know. And so, you know, it's it's a mixed bag, and that's that's what makes it special. Everybody's got an opinion, and that's also what's made it difficult today. Because when I started in 1990. Maybe people have opinions, but you couldn't. You didn't know what they were. There right. was no Twitter. There was no social media. Well, now, I mean, you know, people's gonna. Everybody's got an opinion about what you say and do. And, and you, when you're broadcasting the Gators and, and the Gators are winning championships and winning games, your audience, for the most part, it is a happy audience. But there are people always on the sidelines waiting to take shots at you, and uh, that's just the way it is. And so that's what's made the the, the, the world's a different place today than it used to be. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I wish the best of my successor. I, I hope he's great. 
and it's not just because of Mick Hubert, but 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 a young guy that's got to go in and replace somebody that's been there for 33 years, that's going to be hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like when Bob Kessling called me in 1998 you know, from Knoxville, and I'd known him for years, and he said, Mick, I got a chance to maybe pursue my television career at ESPN and go that way, or I could... I think I could get this Tennessee job replacing John Ward. I said, well, Bob, if you're asking me, you take that Tennessee job because you're the only guy in Knoxville that's going to be able to do that because whoever replaces John Ward is going to catch a ton of grief, and you'll have to have some thick skin to endure that, but you'll be better equipped to do that than anybody else, and if you get that job, you'll have that job until you no longer want it. So the running joke that we've always had between he and I was every time I see him, I always say, you're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Because I said, if I was you, take that Tennessee job. And he's the voice of the Vols today, 24 years later. Wow. And so, you know, it, it, radio play-by-play, it's a tremendous thrill. I mean, to be the voice of a team and to travel with the team, you know, and, and just be around the coaches and the players and and uh, all of that. You know, you know, I, I enjoyed – I've had a career also broadcasting neutral site games where I was, the, you know, doing two teams. And you have to play it down the middle, and I can do that. And I enjoyed that, but there's nothing like being invested with the team because not only was I rooting for the Gators, I was rooting for my friends, mm-hmm. you know, these players I knew and these coaches I knew. And so, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We want to win. And uh, there's something special about being a part of a team. And that, that's why I stayed uh, as long as I did, because I enjoyed it. Uh, early on, I, I, I could have probably pursued more more work in television sports casting and, and, and done some games. But I just didn't want to be traveling all over the country, you know, blowing into town on a Friday and doing two teams on Saturday. Next week, doing two other teams. And the following week, doing two more other teams. And, you know, that would have been fun, but not to the degree that just getting locked in with one team. And the other thing, too, is of the three sports that I was always doing, football, basketball, and baseball, uh <laughs> There was never more than one season that any team wasn't very good. In other words, if football had a down year, you knew basketball and baseball was going to be really good. Or if basketball was a little down, yeah, but football and baseball was really good. It was always two out of three for sure that were really, really good. And, and in many years, all three of them were great. So mm-hmm. I never had to endure a, a real season where all three of them were not very good. This this last year might have come as close to that as any, and it, and, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't right. that bad. Uh but we generally put together two or three uh, sports in that in that year that I was doing it, football, basketball, and baseball, that were always just great. So it was, it was just one, just roll over one to the next to the next. And, uh, and that's what made the, the years fly by. And, uh, and yet I feel that, that my wife and I were young enough and we're healthy enough to enjoy this next phase. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do. So, yeah, that leads me to my final question for you, because whenever anyone retires, there always is that that question of what happens next. What do you hope to do with that time that you have? So obviously, I I would ask, what do you think you'll be doing, uh, you know, in the first week of September when the Gators kick it off against Utah? And then more broadly, what will you be doing with all of the time that you now have? Well, uh, uh, first off, as I've told a lot of people, there are a lot of Gators down in Sarasota. And so, you know, I can I can know as much about the Gators as I need to or as little about the Gators as I want to, (laughs) you know, and so I'm not going to be there for every game. You know, I'm, I'm not going to watch every game. I'll, I'll pick and choose. And some games, I'll we might go out to dinner, go out with friends, and come back at 10:30 and tune in the game and say, "Oh, 
man, this, this was a good game or, oh man, I didn't miss nothing tonight. I'm glad, glad I didn't waste my time watching that. You know, right. over the years I've had people tell me, Mick, I'm sorry. Don't take a personal, but I had to turn you off. The game was so <laughs> bad. I, I couldn't watch anymore. And I always told him, Hey, if I could have left early, I would have left early too, but I had to stay off for the whole game and, and do the post game and all that. Now that didn't happen very often. But I said there are games I like to leave. So you know we'll 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 be watching. We'll be rooting for them. Uh, on the other hand, I don't have a a, a plan here moving forward in terms of uh, this is the most exciting journey of faith that I've ever been on because I'm just taking it one step at a time and I'm leaning on God to direct my path on this. And that's his promise to me that he will. And so I'm just taking it one one day at a time, one step at a time. And I'm just going in faith. That's what I'm being obedient to in this. And uh, that's why, hey, I'm not in control. You know, I have control, but I'm going to not do anything unless I know that I know that I know in uh, in the uh, the inner man. You know, <laughs> uh, my inner my inner being is, is, is always got to be in, in step with with his spirit. And I don't want to do anything out of that uh, out of that control. Well, Mick, you have meant so much to so many people, myself included, for a very long time. Um, thank you so much for everything that you have given us. And I know that I, I'm, I'm Gator Nation collectively supports this statement. Thank you. And we hope that you find you know as much peace and happiness in retirement as you did during your career calling games. Adam, thank you so much. Uh, I've, en- I've enjoyed working with you those times and everything. You've always been good to me, and I wish you the best in, in your career as well, and, uh, and we'll-, we'll do just great. And so we're-, we're excited about the future. We really are, and we're, we're at great peace right now. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. While the athletic season may be over, make sure to keep checking the Gator Tales feed over the course of the summer, as we have special episodes lined up, including an end-of-year recap with Athletic Director Scott Strickland and deep-dive interviews with Todd Golden and Billy Napier. 